0: It's rock and roll! Welcome to the jungle. Wait, no, that'll be another episode. Welcome to Look It's Rock and Roll Podcast Episode 2. But today we are going to dive into a jungle, so to speak. We're going to um, take two albums... And combine them into one, and they are, of course, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1, Use Your Illusion 2, 30 songs. Actually, 29, if you can consider that Don't Cry has two versions, but it's basically the same song. Um, We're going to turn it into, what do we decide on? A 12-song album. And this is all because Guns have just announced that they're going to be hitting the road on on tour again this summer. Lonnie's probably already bought his ticket. I am? Going to Indianapolis. Yep. So uh, what better way than to dig into what was a really fun release back in the day? But, you know, rather than talking about the tour, uh, let's get each one of your entry points into Guns N' Roses. And I guess I, I'm i forgetting that this is a different show than usual, so I should be introducing you. We've got Ken. Hello. Mark. <laughs> And Hello. And Hello. of course I'm Julian admin on message board but we're not talking about that band. So Mark let's start with you. What was your entry point into Guns N' Roses? When did you get into them? And uh, you know which is your pretty much your your allusion go-to album which volume? Ah
1: okay. Well um actually I got into Guns pretty early. Um actually right when they pretty much started uh back when Appetite came out um i was in high school still and what what had happened actually is that there was this guy in my class i'll never forget him he was like a really tall guy long hair skinny glasses and he was one of those guys that you'd always go to who he'd always find like the hippest records because he went to england a lot like with his family so he'd always come back and bring these records back with them and stuff so and he was talking about this band called guns and roses in my it was my ge- geography class that was it and uh he was saying you know guns man they're really cool and uh you know, she really checked them out. I saw them. They opened for the cult. They were touring with them at that time. And he said that they totally killed the cult. Like, they were way better than the cult. Like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And then they ended up, ended up going out with Iron Maiden for the Seven Sun Tour. As Apparently, for some leg of it, they went out with them as well. And uh, But I got introduced to them very early at, at that point. And I remember uh, not shortly after he discussed it and talked to me about it, uh, I did seek out Appetite and I grabbed it. And uh, was highly impressed with it. And uh, not long after that, the uh, infamous "Live at the Ritz" uh, show was broadcast on Much Music. And I was like, "What the hell is this? This is like really like <clears throat> it was like watching a new modern era Rolling Stones. It's like exactly what it reminded me of. I was like, "Wow, this is like totally like the Stones if they were to be formed now, you know, slash out of it completely. Axle, you know." All lippy and rude on stage and you know it was just it was really cool and they were sloppy as hell you know slash was playing solos at a key on night train and stuff like that it was unbelievable just watching this stuff but it was something that was sorely needed at the time because of all the hair and kind of you know glamish metal at the time we were so oversaturated we needed some more you know back to basics jack daniels rock and roll and my and my favorite Illusion has got to be volume two for sure, hands down.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of guessing that's going to be the general consensus since it is the general consensus everywhere else. Ken, how about you, your entry point into Guns N' Roses?
2: Yeah, I remember first hearing um, Welcome to the Jungle. I think it was in my car. Um, I heard that on the radio, I mean, like FM radio, when they played rock and roll. Um, uh, and I thought, and I, it, you know, I kind of like, oh, what, what is this? I haven't heard this before, and it, you know, it was quite a rocking song. I thought this stuff is one of those, you know, it's one of those songs where you hear it the first time, you're like, this is good stuff. And so I was, I think I probably, uh, hopefully, I found out right away who that was if the DJ said who it was, um, and I'm sure I I went out and bought it as soon as possible. Um, so that was the first time that I was aware of them and, and I bought the first album then, which is a great album, the first album. And I remember, you know, I saw them uh, open for Aerosmith uh, mm-hmm. down uh, in Mountain View, California, uh, which was quite a show, <laughs> you know, good pairing there. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they rocked it. And of course, Aerosmith is always good. Um, but yeah, that was the entry point. And uh, it was, you know, quite a, cool thing to have a new band come on board that had a lot of you know good heavy rock and music
0: what's your favorite volume
2: of these two albums oh well it's easy that's number two
0: yeah all right Lonnie give us the word
3: so I got into them. I was young and I got into them early I was probably eight or nine years old as crazy as that sounds um but my but Again, like Kiss, I had an older, you know, again, kind of like the way I like Kiss, I had an older brother who got me into them. Uh, my older brother's four years older than me, so he might have been about 13 at the time. So he's a little more um, Target know, market. In, in the know of what's going on in music. <laughs> and he had, he, he had a buddy that had Appetite on cassette. And what did you do in 1988? Hmm. Well, you had your dual cassette player, and if you if you had something your buddy wanted, you dubbed it for him. So he had a dubbed copy of Appetite, and I was like, I can remember I was in the room next door. I'm like, what is that's not that's not Destroyer he's listening to over there? What what is what is what is, what is he listening to today? um and i i loved it immediately I'm like what's the name of this band with guns and roses and just the name itself is cool enough to an eight-year-old kid like I, eight or nine-year-old kid like i was at the time you know what i mean just oh I, that sounds cool and then well this this you know the music sounds cool on top of it um so you know eventually you know he saved up a few dollars and got a cassette of appetite and then i saved up a few dollars and got a cassette of appetite because that's just what you did you didn't want to sh- I, you know, I don't, I don't want to dub copy. I I want to look at the lyrics. I want to pull out my cassette jacket. You know, I don't, I don't want to just borrow his stuff. So um, it was, it was early on and I, and I loved them um, from the beginning and leaving living in St. Louis, I guess my story about guns N' roses is a little, I wasn't at the riot show cause I was only maybe 11 or 12 when that show happened. And I, I asked, I asked my parents to go, but I was not allowed to go. Obviously, for obvious reasons 12 year old kid going to that first of all it's a little ridiculous um but you know i i've you know there's some there's some cool stories about about living here over the years and, and the court case and everything that went on with that so but my um my favorite illusion of course is number two just like the rest of you guys
0: yeah i mean what's really cool is 86 was just such a fantastic year. If there was one band that was the hype of 1986, it was Guns N' Roses and Hit Parade or Circus, any of the rock mags. Um they were just mentioned that they were going to be recording. Their album was coming out. The EP was about to hit the streets. And they were just hyped the shit out of. And that was the year, basically, I got all in with music, you know, having gotten into kind of the heavy metal scene in December 85. So I had that whole year waiting for Guns N' Roses to release something. And then Lies came out, or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Live Like a Suicide. And. I went down to the cassette store, Music City in Binghamton, New York, Mm -hmm. and they had a cassette (laughs) copy of that. They didn't have the record, so they had Live Like a Suicide on tape, and I bought a Great White album instead because the Ah! Great (laughs) White, (laughs) Um, and I went back the following week. It was gone. Never did end up with it. Ended up finding a a copy of the vinyl, so I was in uh, from the beginning. And then Appetite came out. because 86, you had all that great music. You had Zodiac Mind Warp. You know, High Priest of Love came out in 86. Night Songs, uh, Cinderella, who, mm-hmm. you know, some said they're the next Aerosmith. And then Guns comes mm-hmm. along and they're like, no, this is the next fucking Aerosmith. Look at these guys, Marlboros and Jack Daniels. You know, mm-hmm. and the big hair that Cinderella had. So it was just great music. And, you know, following on from there, I never got to see them live in the day. Mm. I even missed when Zodiac toured with Guns N' Roses, which really kills me, because that's my guilty pleasure band. So, mm. I missed it. But like the rest of you, it's it's Volume 2, which is my go-to, and my CDs tell the story. This is still you know, my original <coughs> copy from Living in Europe, and I didn't <coughs> have a copy of one until I came back to the States and uh, bought one then, so... Uh, definitely volume two. When we talk about these albums, there's 30 songs dropping on you in a single day back in 1991. Mm. That's a hell of a lot of music at a time when you know most bands had only just started expanding to take full advantage of a CD. And both of these are 75 minutes of music. <laughs> Before that, you had, what, Def Leppard, 63 Minutes for Hysteria. I think uh, actually New Jersey came later, so there wasn't a whole lot out at the time that had that amount of music just jammed into it. Mark, what were your initial impressions of receiving 30 songs to try and digest? Uh,
1: Well, it was definitely uh, overwhelming at first because you didn't, you know, you, you, wanted, you There were certain songs I was already aware of before. I mean, uh, Civil War was being played on the radio. uh It On Heaven's Door was being played on radio. Uh, and those were both on two. But of course, you wanted to start on volume one, you know, to, to just check it out. But, you know, you can't help but be anxious to get to volume two. So my first time I listened to both of them, I kind of half listened to one because I was so anxious to get to volume two. But then uh, as I listened to them, more and more um there was obviously definitely uh more things that kind of started to uh, show itself as i listened to it volume two had more of the rocking stuff i found like locomotive locomotive and uh breakdown is really cool i liked and uh stuff like that and i found that volume one had a little bit more melodic a little bit more laid-back stuff like it had like you know the garden and it had don't cry and uh you know Ain't the first one kind of like a more laid back kind of song, but you know, it. I found that there was a bit of a uh, a variation in it, right? But uh, volume two has always spoken to me. I, I thought that it has some of Slash's greatest guitar solos on the second volume, and he has such a great guitar tone. I mean, I've studied that, you know. From top to bottom, I read Slash's book so many times, especially the sections where he talked about recording those records and stuff like that, just to get little, you know, tidbits on what he used and stuff like that. I really liked the tone of his uh, guitar on that, and it was always interesting to read that Izzy Stradlin was one of those guys that they just went in, he recorded while they did drums and bass, and that was it if they wanted him to record again he was like nah he was just one of those like i I do i record with the bass and drums and that's it Whatever's there you use that's why if you look at some of the songs a lot of the double guitaring is done by slash even like left right on your stereo sometimes slash had to double it because izzy was just like one take and that's it
0: yep but izzy so important to the band well Um, yeah what what about you and your reaction to the uh, you know both volumes uh, when you first uh, had to approach them
3: me? Me talking. About? Yeah. Me? Okay.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, sorry. Uh, oh, did, I, 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 I didn't, heard, so. I didn't, I mean, if I didn't hear you. So. You're If you're I shy today, then. Well, that's okay. it's interesting. Well, it's interesting because because <laughs> you know, um, over the summer of '91, MTV played the hell out of "You Could Be Mine." It was on all the time, and I that video is so incredible. I mean, talk about the greatest commercial Terminator 2 could possibly have. It was that video. And MTV played the hell out of it all summer. And I can remember going to um, the record store or to Best Buy and looking for the album. And looking for the album. No, nope, it's not out. It's not out. Yet. When is it coming out? When is it coming out? No. And for a long time, you didn't, over the summer of 91, you didn't know when it was going to come out. And it wasn't until late August I was at the mall. And you, know, you go to the music store at the mall, and somebody had up, use your illusion, arriving here September 17th, 1991. I was like, yes, finally, there's a date. I can't, I mean, I can, re- I can remember dragging my dad up the Best Buy on a Saturday in July of 91, and then dragging him up there the next day on a Sunday in 91, to see if it came out to that day. And he's like, why? We're, we're not doing this every day. <laughs> um, but I mean, I finally, had, I finally had a date, and I couldn't wait. So you know, up until recently, obviously music always came out on Tuesday. So, um, my parents knew I wanted to get it. Um, and they made me a deal. I said, all right, you can go get it after school, but you can't go get it until you all your homework's done. Because once you go buy it, you're not going to listen. You're not gonna do any homework.
4: Hmm.
3: You know, once you, once you go up there and do, like, all right, fine. So like at, at the time I was in seventh grade and at the time we were getting I was getting a lot of homework and it was kind of crazy. So like I knew I was going to, I was getting loaded up with homeworks like all throughout the day. I'm like every chance I could get, like I'm, I'm like going to do a quick math problem and just, just try to, you know, if, if I sped up my homework just by two minutes, every chance I got all day I'm, like, in the car and going home from school, doing homework the whole way home from school, get home, doing my homework, doing my English, doing my math, doing history, just getting it done. And I got done a little before seven o'clock and they like, go, all right, you can go up there. So I guess my brother, Todd drove us up there. I was, i don't know i guess he drove i don't i don't remember if he drove or or, one of my, or my mom or dad gave us a ride up there but we went up to best buy which is really close to the house and you know this is it's all it's all pre-internet so you really didn't know i mean i knew what the i knew what the covers were going to look like but i didn't know what songs were going to be on which one you know what i mean i knew mm-hmm. that you could be mine was gonna be on use Your illusion two because of the music video it said use Your illusion Two on it but i didn't know if knocking knocking on heaven's door was gonna be on one if it was gonna be on two i didn't know and i i I'd already bought the single for You Could Be Mine. Um, but I really wanted a good version I knocking on Heaven's Door. And Todd's, and Todd goes, Okay, whichever one you buy, I'll buy the other one. So I ended up buying News Your Illusion two, and he ended up buying Use Your Illusion one on CD. both of us bought it on CD. And then we did, you know, exactly what every other brothers did, is we came home and made a cassette for, you know, the opposite one for each other. That's what everybody did in America that night. Not everybody, I guess more people were blessed than us and they bought each other, you know, but, you know, <laughs> so, but I mean, I only listen, I was only able to listen to a couple of songs that night before I went to bed, Um, you know, before the weekend came and I was really able to sit down and digest all 30 songs. It was mind-blowing how different it was from Appetite in a way, and it was mind-blowing how different just one song was from the next, having... You know the the Garden of Eden and November Rain really close to each other on Use Your Illusion One, and how you could go from Estranged into You Could Be Mine on Use Your Illusion Two. The whole thing is very epic in the sense Mm -hmm. there's so much music to digest all at one time, and it was so vastly different from what you heard on Appetite, and so vastly different just song the song on the two albums. So it it took a while to really fully digest everything that, that you were hearing, but I loved it. And I I mean, you guys have heard us on kiss FAQ. I still listen to those albums just, just regularly. And anytime I get a chance to talk about them, I do. so that's a long winded answer. So Ken, why don't you talk for
2: the and Shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll go. Um, <laughs> uh, so, well, so yeah, I, I think we were pretty much clamoring for you know the the new music from them and i remember it's like okay yeah i'm gonna get it when it comes out and you know because you're expecting it's gonna be pretty darn good um based on their you know prior efforts um so yeah i got it and uh yeah it's a lot of music like uh like i said to consume and 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 honestly i think really they should have saved they should have just left it at one CD, in my opinion. Now looking back, that they should have just had one CD and maybe saved some of those songs for another album or release or, or whatever other things later on. Um, but uh, you know that didn't happen. But so we got a lot of music. I mean, at the beginning it's like, okay, yeah, this is a lot of stuff to listen to. Um, and then obviously, certain things. I, I'm I'm more for the melodic kind of stuff, so. I think more of the melodic stuff was to me was on, on the uh, number, you know, the second disc, the blue disc or a blue covered. Um, and, and uh, I think I did like Lonnie. I think I did go back and I put it on cassette cause you know, the car had, I think, a cassette deck. Mm-hmm. So I, I taped it and uh, I probably put, probably put most of the, second disc on the tape and some of the songs that, you know, on the, that were mm-hmm. on the first one i you know certain ones i left out and kind of like made, already made my best of at that point of those of the two so yeah it was a cool thing um, because no band was doing you know double mm-hmm. albums like that at that time and with that much music
0: yeah, I mean, that was the whole thing while waiting for these albums to come out was, again, the hype. We talk about the hype with Appetite, everything that led up to 87, and the release of the debut album. Because there were a couple of bands that were really being—had the shit hyped out of them at the time. Um, Rocks of the Angels, direct competitor with Guns N' Roses, who were basically kept from releasing their shit um, in favor of Guns N' Roses getting their stuff out, were hyped to shit. But in 91, you know, this was going to be— you know, a grand statement of how awesome Guns N' Roses was. It was going to be their physical graffiti. It was going to be their exile on Main Street. Those were the sorts of things that were being thrown around in the press. Song titles, they were talking about them. Obviously, Knocking On Heaven's Door, I'd had already, because I had the Japanese EP that had come out in 88, that had the live versions of that and a whole lot of Rosie, and Shadow of Your Love, I think, uh, was on there as well. So I had no shortage of songs in between. Um, not Going to Heaven Store had been on some charity album as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Days yeah. of Thunder
3: soundtrack too. <clears throat> yeah. Go, so, yeah.
0: so there had been bits and pieces coming out in between that was mm-hmm. enough to to hype up Civil War. I think they did a farm aid, didn't they? Or they something. did. Yeah. Um,
1: and that was also on a thing too, like a, a some kind of benefit. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wasn't that like the last thing that uh, Stephen some did? Some Armenian that? thing. Uh, yeah yeah arc- yeah he was the last
1: thing he drummed on yeah it was the so, last thing he ever played it was the
3: last so time he ever played with him that far
0: yeah, there had been a, a lot of kind of that stuff, and then in the summer of 91, you'd be reading reviews of them, you know, and they dropped eight songs into the set that summer, so holy shit, mm-hmm. you know, but 91, I'd been kicked out of Penn State, so I was living in Scranton, scrounging, <laughs> trying to scrounge
3: friends. This is a story for another episode. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, yeah,
0: working, uh, what was I, working at Wendy's, you know, up in really <laughs> and working at- yeah, I was actually, <laughs> nice. um, you know, so I was in between universities at, so I, you know, bought them on cassette. I think I dubbed it and then sold them on. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of material to kind of dig into, but they had really done the right thing with, you know, the Terminator tie in was just, it was all supposed to be out. Great song, great video. To this day, that's one of my favorite rock songs. Um, Just Mm -hmm. because the imagery automatically comes back and then they fucked it up and missed the tie-in. And you had to wait until September for the albums to come out. So, you know, it really did turn out to be not so much a kitchen sink because there wasn't that much in here that I felt was filler. There are some songs Mm -hmm. that I'm like, um, you know, not quite, Mm -hmm. that's bad to call them filler but there's certainly stuff, plenty of stuff that's not as strong as the strongest material on the album so again it took years, I've enjoyed the past week of listening the shit out of these albums again and also listening to your playlist I mean each one of us has uh, selected 14 songs uh, that are our favorites from these two albums from which to compile our 12 song you know this panel's best of your illusion which is not going to be as bad as this piece of shit which is mm-hmm. all clean, all all, all clean, clean all, yeah. all nice. That was done for WalMarts and Targets and other mass market <laughs> sellers who want to control what you're able to listen to. You know, they, they forget what they yeah. the country they're based in.
1: You know, sorry, I was just gonna say one thing really quickly that was brought up. how You guys are all saying that you know it's you might it might have been a good idea to have it on one album, or you know, was it a good idea to throw on so many songs? I think one thing that's kind of forgotten in this well maybe not i don't think lonnie's forgotten because he's the master of guns and roses so he'll know all this stuff but uh okay. is that they were very volatile at this point you know oh, steven yeah. steven was i uh, was on the way out you know there was always constantly arguments between slash and Axel and this and that mm. i think that the best thing that they did was record everything and put it out because god knows that there would have been another record and look how long it took till there was another actual you know studio record sure we got you know spaghetti incident but that's just covers you know and i mean an actual studio record took eons to come out so the best thing that they could have did was to put this all out because we might not have never gotten some of these
3: songs no i couldn't agree with mark more about that that it's it was it was ballsy to put both those albums out at the same time i mean it's you know to release two albums at the same time no band does that i guess you know kiss does it with solo albums in 78 but who else does that i mean really (laughs) yeah i mean no no one else does that i mean that's how big they were in their minds and that's how big they were in the record company's minds that the record company said yeah let's do it to give them to give them the green light to do it even though you know there's stories of the record company said well why don't we just make a double album why make two separate albums Mm. but but for the record company to go along with it and say yeah do it let's make two separate albums that's really ballsy to 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 release that kind of stuff that's but that's how but it's a testament to how big they were at the time Mm
4: -hmm. they were Mm -hmm.
3: absolutely the biggest band on the planet at the time and i'm with mark though that it's a good thing they did they did it the way they did it because what happened when the tour was over well they broke up Mm -hmm. and look how long it took before we got chinese and then it's been since april of 2016 that we've quote unquote been back together at least with the three main three main guys and they've done a lot of touring and things have gone really well as far as shows going off without a hitch but we have one thing we haven't gotten is new music so that being said it it is a good thing that they that they released everything they had in their Mm vaults all at once
0: and that was always going to be one of the questions, because Appetite for Destruction was built on a lot of hype. You have to remember, when Appetite came out, their success wasn't guaranteed. It did not go platinum fast. That first, mm-hmm. uh, basically, first six months, it's, it scraped to gold. It was held off on the charts. Hysteria, again. you know, It mm-hmm. was August 88 that Appetite went to number one, finally. And then, Sweet Child of Mine was just like a nail in the coffin, and just over the top. There they they go, a million a month after that. So, mm-hmm. you know, they really had something to follow. And while they'd given us a stopgap in Lies, obviously the reissue of the EP and the acoustic songs, which, you know, I was living in Singapore when that one came out, and we just <laughs> played the shit out of that one. All. That summer that it was out, we or whenever it was, because it was always summer in Singapore. Um, <laughs> always fucking hot. So, you know, they, they had a lot to follow up, and then they had the balls to do two 75-minute albums, ship 4 million copies of these fucking things, 2 million of each volume, and then they sell half a million in the first two hours. And by 6 a.m. of the day of release, you know, both albums are platinum. That's just fucking incredible. Even Mm -hmm. for the 80s, when, you know, a lot of bands sold good albums. We're not Mm -hmm. talking massive multi-platinum. You know, look at Motley Crue sales for that period. At the time, they were doing two, three million. And this just. You know, blew completely through that. And then at the end, as you said, there was no Guns N' Roses in essential. You know, busy you know, mm. leaves, live and let die. But let's get into our rankings. The way we've done this is, like I said, each one of us selected 14 songs. And then from that, we put it into the humongous algorithm machine and uh, chose our delusion. You know, and uh, Ken, you got your list in front of you of the 14 songs that you selected? And
2: if not, I do, the 14 that I selected, yes.
0: Yeah, so let us know which ones you picked, and then I'll get the master order, and we can start talking about some of these songs on this album.
2: Oh, okay, I picked, and I kind of had an order to it. <laughs> I don't know it makes it, I haven't tried the order or anything, but uh, my first pick was uh, You Could Be Mine, you know, no-brainer. Um, and then, number two, uh, Don't Cry, which is the original one, I guess you could say the one on volume one of Illusion. Um, and then I had it uh, number three I had Bad Obsession which I thought was kind of like a Stonesy type song Um, four Estranged five uh, I had Yesterdays uh, six I had Civil War seven I had The Garden uh, eight 14 years nine Locomotive ten breakdown and 11 pretty tied up and 12 uh ending it uh november rain
0: all righty mark what were your picks
1: mm. um well i did mine kind of almost like in a album release order so i i put a uh, first i put double talk and jive i always loved that song that whole drum beat at the beginning, it was always great i love that song uh bad obsession is one of my all-time favorite songs off one it's what a fantastic uh playing with slash with that travis bean slide guitar it's um, amazing shit man uh pretty tied up i mean that 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 to me is one of the hidden gems on too. that whole sitar at the beginning and everything that's what a great song the lyrics are something you don't want to let your mother read if she gets a hold of your record um then you got a breakdown which is fantastic i've always i always thought it was very ballsy of those guys to put a banjo at the beginning of a song like that, it was so like down south United States, like Mississippi kind of sounding. It was really cool. I thought it was a great idea. A November rain is a classic. Uh, number six, I put so fine. I always thought that that was a kind of overlooked song. I mean, you know, it's it's so to me that song. It shows Duff to, to me. Like that to me is like such a Duff vibe song. I, I really liked it. I thought it was a song that was, uh, you know, could have got a little bit more traction. But You Could Be Mine, I mean, you know, we already said so much about that song. Amazing song. Uh, Garden of Eden, I thought that was a very cool, upbeat, in-your-face song. You know, I always loved that video, that single camera shot of just a band, and then just, you know, rocking out. I thought it was a very cool idea. Considering that this is a band that was making like $5 million videos, you know, to come back with a, you know, $50, $50 video after it was a fantastic idea. You know, uh, Perfect Crime, a very underappreciated song, I think. It's just one of those more straight ahead, you know, balls to the wall rockers. Uh, and then the last three, I think, are just absolute classics. Locomotive, I think, is one of the best examples of Slash uh, Duff and Matt Sorum being locked in on an awesome groove. Uh, Estrange is uh, Axl Rose's masterpiece on Volume 2, for sure. Uh, great lyrics, great piano playing on that. And uh, I ended up with Don't Cry, of uh, my record, because I put 12 on there. Uh, what can you say about Don't Cry? Probably one of the biggest ballads of the last you know, 10, 15 years, for sure, that song. And then the extra two that I picked were uh, 14 Years, I believe was one of them, was it? No, it wasn't 14 Years. I picked Coma. Uh, which is a interesting song. I never thought I'd see Guns do a 10-minute song. I mean, this is not a Yes album, right? So I, th- I thought it was interesting to hear that. Uh, and f- for anybody who had a decent stereo system, that heartbeat at the beginning really no, kicked Jesus. the hell out of your speakers. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about
0: that more when we do all the songs. hell <laughs> that That, to this day, creeps the yeah. shit out of me.
1: I know. And then the last one that I picked uh, was Yesterday's. That to me was kind of a song. I thought. I wouldn't say there was a filler, but if there was anything that was close to a filler to me, I think that would be probably one of them, to, in my opinion.
0: All right, Lonnie, just read out your list and then we're going to go one by one through our combined best of. Election.
3: So the 12 I submitted were, um, and I kind of did it the way you guys had done it, too, like in an album type form, um, were right next door to hell pretty tied up don't cry break down bad obsession locomotive civil war double talking jive 9th november rain 10 estranged 11 you could be mine and 12 ending it with coma all right which
0: just leaves me all right and uh I went with uh, "You Can Be Mine," Dustin Bones, "Bad Obsession," November Rain, "Coma," "Pretty Tied Up," "Locomotive," "14 Years." That should really have been on Chinese Democracy, but you know, maybe they can put (laughs) 28 years on a new album if they ever do Uh, one. "Divorce," which I don't think anyone else has mentioned. Yesterday's Mm -hmm. estranged and civil war. I mean, what I really found interesting about all of our picks was. Yeah, we had some unanimous selections. Bad Obsession, November Rain, Pretty Tied Up, Locomotive, Estranged, and You Could Be Mine. All four all four of us picked all those from the list. Three of the four of us picked Don't Cry. I did not. I hate that fucking song. Both versions. Um, Civil War and Breakdown. Two of us, at least, picked Double Talking Jive, Coma, 14 Years, and Yesterdays. And, you know... One of us, the standalones, Lonnie, I, I mean, right next door to hell is surprising. You're the only one who picked that. Because I those, am surprised I'm
3: the only one who picked that. It's
0: a really fun song considering all the I shit think so that, too. that went around it with his psychotic neighbor who accused right. him of hitting her with a wine bottle, throwing her keys mm-hmm. out the building. Mm-hmm. And Axel's <laughs> like, if I hit her, she wouldn't still be here. I'd be up there for murder, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And then, of course, when the prosecutor wouldn't prosecute him for it, she sued them. Yeah, and to this day, you go on her LinkedIn page. What she say? I have a Guns N' Roses song written about me. I'm really proud of that. Yes.
3: Yeah. Good for you.
0: We know. Um, what are the other standalones? <laughs> Ken, the garden. Um, yeah. I had, I had. two. I was the only one who picked Dustin. Bones I love the, and the garden Wars. The Garden, I mean, that's like a real song that? as well. Isn't Alice yeah. on that song? Alice yeah. Cooper. I mean,
2: that's a fantastic Alice Cooper. song. I don't know how the heck it didn't make this list. I think some people are very wrong here.
0: We, we obviously have no taste and no respect for the coop. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was reading one of the newspaper articles about that, and they're like, oh, we just thought we'd ask Alice if he'd do it. And he said, yeah, we couldn't believe that he'd, you know. So that's "Yeah." Cool. Cool shit. So yeah, what well, mine? Dust and Bones, Dead Horse, again, just really rocking, Roxy kind of very uh, Stonesy, Aerosmithy songs. Um, Mark, you had three. You you were the outlier. You had Perfect Crime, Guard of Eden. So fine. I mean, so fine. It's one of my near misses. That could easily Agreed. be a pick. Um, it's kind of two different songs wrapped into one, and I like the second half far more than the first half. Um, great pick all all three you know again there's a lot of good shit on these albums and very few that really kind of fall into the category of utter filler Mm -hmm. yeah alright so that leaves the rejects and I guess this is the stuff that we think sucks or just doesn't doesn't measure up and that is Live and Let Die Paul McCartney Wings cover Mm. which it's a cover I know they used to do that in soundcheck they do it in soundcheck and that's why they put it on the album. They used to have yeah. fun with it. You know, maybe it was a song that they said, you know, that we're going to keep recording until we're done recording however many songs it is. Then we'll put out an album they just never stopped recording. And maybe when they started doing mm-hmm. stuff like that, they should have stopped. Um, you Ain't the First, Not Surprised, Back Off Bitch, Don't yeah. Damn Me, it is kind of surprising. I like, it, that it, that yeah, no one that's a good song. Um, Bad Apples. Knocking on Heaven's Door, Not Surprised Again, as that doesn't really feel like it belongs in this album. Uh, get in the Ring, Motherfucker. Paul <laughs> Um That gets more pussy than you do. Um, Shotgun Blues and My World. So, th- those were the ones that we really didn't like. So, let's go one by one for these ones that we do like. Starting with Bad Obsession. Which any four of you, can any four of us can start. Oh, yeah, okay. Mark. Well, Go. Bad
1: Obsession, honestly, Bad Obsession to me is one of the songs that I think makes Volume 1 strong. I mean, that song to me is really well done and shows that these guys know how to pick their guest musicians. You know, Teddy Zigzag on the harmonica the big Greek there, he's so good on harmonica, like unbelievable. And, you know, he's alive, especially he was, he's really fantastic. I mean, uh, I, and I always thought that a uh, slash really showed that he has more to him as a guitar player than just, you know, just like a regular rhythm lead player. I mean, the slide playing is not as easy as people think it is to play, you know, and to play it well like that, you know, that that takes a bit of skill there. I mean, you know, and t- t- again, the tip of the hat to the Rolling Stones is very obvious because not only did they do it in uh, open G tuning like Mr. Keith Richards, but he strung it five string, just like Keith. No low, si- no low E string. E string whipped off, just the five string. And uh, it just sounds amazing. I mean, one of my favorite versions of that song has got to be that Paris concert that they broadcast on television that they did. Uh, what a great version of Bad Obsession. And uh, it it had a little bit of a personal connection with me as well, because when I was really into it, I was kind of deep in my own bad obsessions with my drugs and stuff like that. So I kind of related to it very personally. So uh, I'll always have a good connection, well,
0: uh, a connection to it because of that. A connection, yes. <laughs> Good or bad, it's part of life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, all these things. But didn't the Stones have a piano player? Wasn't it Nicky Hopkins
4: mm-hmm. uh,
0: who played for the Stones? Because that was one of the things that always kind of stood out for a lot of these songs. That you've got the underlying, you've got harmonica, you've got horns, you got
1: Dizzy piano. on piano.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so all those elements are just make the kind of Stones' parallels a a little bit more obvious, but yet they've got their own sound. And as you said, this this song actually predated Brownstone, um, Mm -hmm. which being about their gutter life, you know, I I always loved it because, again, at 91, Scranton, yeah, we weren't up to any good. When you're flipping burgers for a living, you're just... (laughs) By what that i can't remember keystone or something or some keystone yeah that's that's a good college genesee cream ale and all that shit (laughs) afterwards so yeah that was scranton uh ken bad obsession
2: yeah uh well like mark said i mean i had written down here you know the the stones (laughs) the stones feel on it i mean of course there's other songs like that but this one really really had one um and it's just a great song and i had it early in my my list so i I obviously think it's one of the better albums because i usually would put some of the even better songs at the beginning um but it's it's a great song and the other thing i'd say is you know with slash is i think what makes guns and roses such a great band is it's it's slash for the most part it's his guitar playing his 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 tasty little solos and fills that he puts in things i mean that's that is the key thing about him that makes the the band so good i mean it it, to me it's it's slashes is is, you know the whatever you want to call it the hero of the band or whatever most valuable player (laughs) and you don't and you don't agree
0: and i don't agree no i who Mm -hmm. wrote the song izzy who's the most important guy in the band Izzy, his uh, pop sensibilities and his riffs, to which uh, Slash mm. could then play stunning lead guitar over. I've always thought of Izzy, and you listen to any of his numerous solo albums. But enough about Izzy. We'll do an episode on that. Um,
3: Lonnie, um, the song is is fantastic. It it has a this great groove to it um, that the harmon that Teddy Zigzag provides with the harmonica and Guitar, slash on this Travis Beam, and then and then Axle's you know just dirty drug related lyrics. I mean it's it's your typical. I mean it's it's a it's just a it's a typical Guns N' Roses song. Um, with a, with a better groove to it than than some of the others. Um, you know they they had talked about the original version of Night Train was going to have a harmonica on it. Was going to have mm-hmm. a harmonica solo on it. Um, so I'm glad they re- they revisited that idea when they did the illusion album and put it on be- and and put it on Bad Obsession because without the harmonica I think the song would really lose something. It it, it creates oh, yeah. a feeling to it that would make the song really feel kind of lacking without. Um, I really wish they would would uh, play around with it some more and and bring it back uh, on these shows this summer and kind of switch up the setlist a little bit since. You know, they're not calling it Not In This Lifetime anymore. Maybe we'll get a, a different set list and throw some gems like this in there. So mm. um, I think it'd be fun. And it's it, the song couldn't get mean, Sorry. I, think, I don't understand. The uh, <laughs> It's 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 fantastic. I, I, I love the dirty the dirty lyrics. And like the 11 year old in me at the time didn't understand a lot of what was going on in the song really <laughs> took me uh, until I was about 15 or 16. Go, oh, <laughs> he now called the doctor. He, makes he sense. called my mother. She's just a what now? Okay. I know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't, you don't so, want to ask that question at
0: the dinner table. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> all right. Next up. Don't cry. And I never asked you guys which ones mm-hmm. you were voting for. Again, it was, uh, I kind of assumed it was the original version of mm-hmm. the other one. And that was a really old song. Uh, it, was mm-hmm. on the fir- it was on the first Guns N' Roses demo. Now that that's come out on Appetite uh, mm-hmm. Deluxe, Super Glorious Edition. You know, it's been around a long time as a song. I, again, I did I say I didn't like it? I hate it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I really she said that. not yeah, like yes. that yeah, song. And when I had to watch the video for it, that was just like visually, ah, okay. But you guys do. The three of you like it. Mark, what's great about uh, Don't Cry? And which version were you voting on in case? uh...
1: Well, the original to me has always been the one to go to. I mean, I always found that when I listened to the alt version of it, I found the, the change of lyrics kind of jolting at first because it didn't have the same flow I found, in the verses, I mean, that's essentially what he changed was the verse parts, right? <clears throat> the choruses pretty much stayed the same. Um, I think what I've always liked about it <clears throat> is the sort of uh, the flow of Axl singing. He goes from this really somber, low voice to this really, you know, very axel Rose, you know, Nazareth toned voice high pitch voice that he's so popular for uh you know Shannon Hoon was the one who also did the harmonized vocals with him on this song as well and uh you know some people say that that was the magic of it uh I can't either agree or disagree on that I was never a big Shannon Hoon fan to be honest with you but uh I I think that you know Izzy his playing on it is I find very eerie if you listen to this song on headphones he has a really Kind of distorted, very reverb tone to his guitar, and it's very twangy. It's almost like his frets are too high on his guitar, and he gets his fret buzz when he plays these chords. When he hits that C, he gets this buzz on his guitar. It's like, and I always thought to myself, they kept that, you know. But then you think back to the stories about Izzy. He's like, you know, listen, I'm playing this song once through with the guys, and that's it. So what you got is what you got, right? But there's always something kind of magical about Izzy's rhythm guitar playing in the songs. I think that was one of it. And it definitely has one of Slash's better guitar solos. I love that feedback squeal at the end of the solo before they go into that. Please remember that I never lied. That whole part there. I've always thought that that was a great little feedback squawk at the end that he did there when he throws the Les Paul off the cliff in the video there. Uh, I've always thought that that was a very cool a uh, bit of guitar playing on there. I, and I always thought that the ending was was really strong. I mean, a lot of people kind of turned, rolled their eyes when he did that whole extended vocal part at the end there. But I thought it just showed that, you know, he, he had some talent as a singer, for sure.
0: It was strangling a cat, but if you enjoyed it, that's fine. Lonnie, mm.
3: don't cry. Yeah, the ending of the song was the worst part about the song. But I... <laughs> You know, it, they they followed the formula. You know, you had you had the the the, uh, the hard rocking song to to start off with. You could be mine. So what was the formula at the time? Well, you put out about ball- you put out your ballad next, and that's what they did. And I think a lot of us were expecting. Uh, I I was expecting it to be a ballad for the next for the next single, and and of course it was. And I enjoy I. I liked the song. I liked it you know, before it was released as a single. I thought it was um, very, very cool and very, very catchy. Um, I do lean toward the one on Use Your Illusion 1 as well, which I think will probably be the consensus, just because the the, the verses just make more make more sense, and, and it was, it's, the second one just seems a little bit forced mm-hmm. to me. So Agreed. But I... I agree with Mark though. Where his slashes solo on there is, is is there's so many different elements to it that, that make it so great. But I but I am with you though. I love the the end to it. Like when he throws the guitar off the cliff, and it it fit but that sound and him throwing the guitar off the cliff just just fit perfectly together. So um, I like I like how the song builds though. How the verses are how the first verse verse is very soft, and then you get the refrain. The second verse is is there's a, there's a little more there's a little more tempo to it there's a little you know it's a little harder and by the time you get to the third verse it really has has really picked up and is really more of of a rock song by that point and until it hits this crescendo at the end I, it's just one big the whole song is just one big crescendo and that, I think that, that was a really really cool aspect to it that makes it different than a lot of other power ballads at the time um, either whether it be prior or since so to me I, th- I think it's a great ballad and you know it, it, it it's uh, one of the better songs on there sorry Julian. it's okay i'm perfectly
0: fine <laughs> being wrong in your mind <laughs> Ken.
2: yeah i mean it's a great song a catchy tune and yeah i like how like Lonnie said it it's kind of starts you know really uh, slower or not sl- necessarily slower but you know uh softer softer yeah easier uh at the beginning, and yeah it you know it builds it keeps building throughout the song um and to like I only said it you know becomes a pretty much a rocker uh so it's just a, another great catchy song without i heard about a million times I don't remember the video with the guitar throwing off the cliff or whatever, but uh I'm sure if i, I saw I haven't seen it so long. <laughs> You uh, remember it, that Izzy wasn't been, in the video. It's been so long. I probably remember that, yeah. Uh, but it's been so long since I even seen that. Uh, I, I would I would venture to say it's been you know, 20 at least 20 years you know mm-hmm. since I've seen it.
0: Yeah, I can understand Don't Cry making someone want to throw a guitar off a cliff, but you know, <laughs> wow, that's just me apparently on this panel. Ken, uh, the next pick up is Double Talking Jive. You and I didn't pick that. You got anything to add about that one before we go to the two who did?
2: It's a whole tongue talking jive. I mean, it was okay to me. That one w- felt like filler to me. Um, um, I just oh. didn't, I just didn't care for it, and it, it, you know, it it just fell off my list. So, not much to say about that one.
0: Yeah, same with me. I it, my notes on that are just meh. You know, it, it's for me the song. The best part of the song is the guitars. And I love the ending solo and the flamenco guitar at the end. Those are the best parts of it. So <laughs> like the guitar work, the rest of it. And the funny part of these first three songs is Izzy, you know? Yeah. Maybe this as well. It's all and, Izzy. Uh, yeah. Mark, you and Lonnie both picked this, and it, it made the uh, made the made our final list because of a tie break. Um, what are your thoughts on it?
1: I, I've always loved it. I always thought that it showed a, you know, it showed strong points of the band members. Matt Sorum, drumming. Because I'll tell you one thing really quickly. Um, there's been great debate, and I, I'm, I'm anxious to hear Lonnie's uh, take on this as well. Uh, there's great debate amongst Guns N' Roses fans about what happened to the sound of Guns N' Roses after Stephen Adler left. A lot of people said that the, the feel of Guns N' Roses went completely out the window. And that Matt Sorum was nothing more than just a hack metal drummer that just kind of, you know wasn't the same feel that that Adler had my drummer in my band never bought the Illusion albums because he said that it didn't sound the same Guns N' Roses without Adler he only bought Appetite and stayed with Appetite and refused to buy he said Matt Sorum sucked and he hated how Guns N' Roses sounded because of that so to me I always argued with him because I thought that this is a song where Matt Sorum kind of showed the power that he had in it
4: hmm mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Things that Matt can do. This is this is it. I I think that he's a great drummer on this, and I also love the fact that you you have Izzy singing on this. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that his singing and this is kind of interesting. At first, I never knew that was Izzy Stradlin singing the lead vocal part in this song. You know, because I, I saw you know in Paris when they were doing it, it was all all axel Obviously, you know, Izzy was gone by this point, but you know, still, I I always thought it was interesting whenever they would let Izzy sing. On the songs, I thought he had a great great voice. I loved Izzy Straddling and the Juju Hounds. I thought it was a great album. So I've always loved this album. And again, I have to agree with you, though. The Spanish guitar flamenco stuff at the end is amazing. The whole guitar solo at the end is fantastic. I mean, who would have thought you'd hear Slash playing in melodic minor key? You know, that's held for like Ingvy Malmsteen and those people. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's really well done on their part.
0: Yeah, that again, you know, even though I didn't pick it that, just the guitar. is impossible not to mention how good that is on this song. Lonnie, double talking jive.
3: Um, I think it's a fantastic song. And yes, the, the guitar at the end is the best part of it, but there's so many great elements. Um there's so many great elements to that song. And you know, like there's 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 Izzy singing, there there's there's Axel in the background, there's Matt Sorm's drumming, and there's the slash guitar solo at the end i mean it, it really highlights i think the band itself and how strong they were and i don't even mention duff mckagan so um i i to echo what mark said i'm sorry i think i think you know i, I know stephen brought brought a great feel to the band but i think matt's drumming on these albums is phenomenal and hmm. i you know two different drummers in their own right but i think but i think matt matt's, matt's a great great drummer um and he's he's showcased he's she's showcased on this song you know like that i think i remember listening to the song you know early on thinking wow you know you you really you really hear his power um and not to take anything away from steven but i mean you can really hear how powerful drummer he was so um just i i put it on there just because it, it really showcases you can really hear you really can hear distinctly each member of the band. It really just kind of highlights how great of a unit they were.
0: Yeah, and I don't have a problem with Mass Arm, by the way. I do, you know, obviously like Sonic Temple with the cult uh, that he played on, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I always like kind of the feel. It's a little bit like a Peter Chris conversation that you replace <laughs> a, a drummer who's got... Something unquantifiable or inquantifiable um, mm-hmm. with someone who has better technical chops, perhaps, um, and has more power. And you lose something in the equation that in rock and roll is kind of the X mm-hmm. factor, that you have someone a little bit out of sync, and it just adds a feel to a song um, that you lose with precision. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's the only thing I'm coming from. Next up on our list is November Rain unanimous pick again what the hell else can i say about it that it's just massively grand it's exquisite it's just unbelievable it's like a free bird for the 90s it just kind of builds and builds Mm. and builds um and yet it fucking dated from 86 and got bumped off the appetite because of sweet yeah. Child. I mean just go and figure <clears throat> that out and I mean you only really heard the good co- uh, quality copies of it once the uh, deluxe edition came out of Appetite and you're like wow it's pretty much fully formed there all they did was just record it on <clears throat> you know holy shit Axel was writing that good back then Ken November rain.
2: Yeah, November rain I always liked uh, it's a you know epic song. Um I think maybe they did leave it off of Appetite because it's it's it doesn't really fit I think with those other songs on that are on Appetite I think it would have thrown it off, um so yeah it's it's good they left it and kept it for this and it's kind of an epic song like you know something like even talking about Elton John you know F- Funeral for a Friend, uh something like that you know it's just just a real epic type cool song, um. I've always loved it. That's why I put it. I put it uh, as my my closing track on on my list because I thought that was a great way to go out on the album. So it's a great song.
0: Yep, Mark, your thoughts on November Range?
1: Oh, I I, I loved it. I think uh, Axel's piano playing on it is is you know top shelf, just great stuff. Um, I've also uh, I also agree with Ken. I think that if they would have kept november rain on appetite it would have been a very noticeable Mm -hmm. left turn i mean appetite is so you know whiskey soaked and so you know Mm -hmm. really you know balls to the wall and you know it's it's borderline metal in times as well you know and this is so you know just so grandiose it's like you know beatles at their most grandiose if you can imagine that like when they brought out the orchestras and the strings and all that stuff you know it's it's that you know what i mean it's, it's every bit as good as something like that and i i just think that uh, it fit better on this album and i think that it also got more traction because it was on this album you know because it came out on, on such a hyped record they were able to release like, you know, nine singles off of it with no problems because it was so hyped up. I, I don't know if they would have been able to do that, give it in a fair shake with Appetite. Because like you said, it took a while for that album to get traction, right? You'd hate to have lost a song like that in the midst of that. So um, I think it's great. Again, another great guitar solo. Uh and the the ending part is interesting, that double time piano part that comes in. I, I always thought that that was an interesting songwriting twist that was put into it.
0: You're muted, Julian. Hello? Yeah, great. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was busy muting Lonnie and
3: myself. <laughs> uh Lonnie, your thoughts on November, right? <laughs> um You know, it's it's epic. It's an epic song. And there's so many layers to it. And when I heard, I hadn't, I heard the, that stripped down piano version of it and that acoustic version of it, maybe for the first time. Oh, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years ago. Um, and just fell in love with the song all over again. And couldn't stop listening to those, to those demos of it from, from 86. And that, that long piano, only version became my favorite version of it for the longest time um but i'm back to the point now too where i appreciate the version that's on the album because it is so grand it's so grand and so there's so much going on in that song with with this with the with the string synthesizers and 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 the different instruments you know layers upon layers on it so and you know we, we talk about about that you know and talk about matt storm's drumming on there there's a great video that talk that that actually explained to him how he wanted to do the drum fills and how he wanted each drum fill to sound exactly the same um and how actually really kind of just wrote those drum parts for him and, and that's a big part that those drum fills are a big part of the song um and you know when you don't hear them on that stripped down version of it on the piano only it really kind of makes a big difference, but it really, but that stripped down piano version really highlights how beautiful the song is. And the lyrics, we, you guys haven't even mentioned the lyrics on that song and how poetic it is. Um, and you know, of course he wrote the song about, about Aaron Everly and it's about being in love with someone who isn't in love with you. And that is one of the most torturous places to be in, in life. And it's fantastic. And we haven't even mentioned the video. And the video was, the video just blew it off the wall in the summer of 92. And everybody's like, what, what happened? How did she die? Nobody knew how she died. And that's what made this, and that's what made, drove the song in popularity even more. And that's something that we're missing in in rock and roll today, but that's another look at rock and roll podcast there. That's a great topic. But the, the video itself was just, oh so over the top and it was the first time that we got to see gilby clark too in the video Mm -hmm. like oh Mm -hmm. there he is we hadn't really seen him other than maybe a few glimpses here and there um but it's it's one of my favorite songs maybe it's definitely in my top five favorite songs maybe maybe ever um my wife and i it wasn't if we had narrowed it down to three songs we were going to dance to at our wedding and this was one of them this song is, is so important to me. Nice. I was going to ask you what the missus
0: thought about this band, whether this was a band. She's she going, tolerate. she's going to Indianapolis yep. with me. Yeah. So, so you don't, you don't torture her with multiple bands. That's a good thing, Lonnie. Very wise. Did
3: I, good idea. You know, I, have to, I know my boundaries. Yep. All right, <laughs> let's move on.
0: Well, um, coma. And I think you and I were the only ones to pick this, uh, and it, it, again, got in off the tiebreaker. I just always just loved the perspective, you know, of a drug overdose and singing about it in an epic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's so Guns N' Roses. <clears throat> it,
0: it, it totally, when you think that all these guys have probably had one, you know, what better group of people to write a song about <laughs> it than a bunch like them? Because, you know, again, in 1991 it was an interesting time in my life and this just really resonated. So, you know, from, from some of the Amen. shit I've seen going down with other people. And, you know, again, Mark, I think it was, you, you mentioned the, the heartbeat,
2: you mm-hmm. know, on a, on a good
0: stereo. There was one night that we were we were doing stuff and that came on and it was loud and it started in my chest thudding oh my god that was like I mean it was like a Pink Floyd album for the 90s like just one little element that really magnified itself Lonnie I'll go back to you on that since you picked it as well yeah I am
3: was, it was really really excited when the setlist came out for the Not In This Lifetime tour that it was included I was like fucking really they're playing Coma and like I, I really couldn't I really couldn't believe it or wrap my head around it and there's a there's not many actual quotes out there in the last four years because he hasn't done maybe but a couple interviews since since the since they got back together, and he mentions that one of the reasons why he did it is that it would make that he knew it would make Slash really happy to put Coma in the set list, and I remember reading that and thinking, when's the last time we did anything that would makes that for the purpose of making Slash really happy? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but the song itself is is ten minutes of just it's 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 the changes in it and the way from the way it starts with with the heartbeat and the changes and duff's bass that comes in right afterwards you get to get this dark creepy feeling and it just builds and builds and builds like a good guns and roses song should i guess you could say
4: yeah.
3: and it just ends with this two minute just actual rose screaming lyric rant and it's just epic And it's one of the many epic songs on these albums. And I couldn't do a list of my favorite Guns N' Roses songs off I Use Your Illusion without including including this, because it's fantastic.
0: Mark, you've you've kind of alluded to some of your points on it, but give us a quick recap. Mm -hmm. Well, again,
1: that heartbeat. I mean, I remember one time, I'll come clean, gentlemen, uh, one time at a rehearsal that I was at with my band, we had fallen into some jamaican gumweed i don't know if you're familiar with this stuff but it's really tacky tacky weed and it almost makes you completely like like stupidly paralyzed at some point when you take it and i remember we were put on guns N' roses album at that point and we were just kind of sitting on the sofa just totally chilled out and then all of a sudden this do 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 starts and me and my singer looked at each other we're like like really we could even talk we're kind of like ah ah like kind of pointing at the stereo like <laughs> what the hell is going on you know like it was it was a moment i'll never forget and he'll never forget to every time we see each other we haven't seen each other for maybe 10 years now but i'm guarantee if i bring up that story he'll burst into laughter as well with that memory of that whole situation i mean it's it's such a great song and again the I was the most thing that shocked me about it was the fact that it was such a long song. I never would have thought Guns N' Roses would have wrote a song like that. And that they had the musical knowledge at that time to make a 10-minute song that wouldn't have been boring. And it was, it's far from boring. You know, Uh, I think it's a great song, greatly written. And that moment will forever be a scarred memory back here for the rest of my life. But, you know, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I love that song. Yeah.
2: Okay, that one didn't make my list because it 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 grates on me. I just I don't know what really? it is. I just I just don't like it that much. I mean it's okay, uh, but I, I'd rather I'd rather skip it. <laughs> it's just the way I feel about that song. Oh, um, maybe end. I'm not a huge you know a big enough Guns N' Roses fan about it all, but um, it's yeah it's something about it, and maybe it's the way Axels singing on it. I think probably is what bothers me about it, you know, the way he did it. So there it is.
0: Well, then like lead us into the next song, which is Civil War, <laughs> is- which, you, which you did pick. And that's yet another oh, long but- song. I mean, they had five pretty long yeah. songs between these two albums. So what were your thoughts on that?
2: I like that one. I mean, that, that builds, too. Uh, like like some of the other songs that they do. Uh, but the, I, I always like the beginning, uh, you know, the little lead-in to the song, uh, because uh, that... Um, those those lines come from the movie cool hand luke which was mm-hmm. always one of my favorite movies uh you know of all time uh, with paul newman uh, just a just a great movie um but uh, i was like oh i heard that like what the heck you know so it's like i know that and then and then it goes into the song i was like oh wow that's kind of that's cool and you know Civil War. I don't know if it has to do with the, anything the same with the uh, Clan Luke, but um, it's a cool song uh, about an interesting subject, actually. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, historic, I guess. Subject. So it it's just a great song. I always loved it. Um, uh, you know, nothing bad to say about that one.
0: Yeah, and I'm gonna echo that sentiment. You know, any time that I either see um, Shane. Or Cool Hand Luke oh, on TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watch the damn things. I always have. I, you know, when this when that intro happened, I'm like, yeah, Cool Hand Luke. <laughs> you know, but then they obviously they do sing about Civil War, which any war is basically the ultimate failure to communicate. Mm. So uh, it, it ties in That's perfectly. Right. Um, love this. Always love the song. Always will. It's. Um, you know, just one of those great pieces of music and great audio storytelling. Lonnie, you picked it as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked it as well. It, it, it's, it's, again, starts off and finishes strong. And it, you know, it, it's, a, it's the last appearance. It's the only appearance by Steven on, on either of the two albums. And the lyrics on it are absolutely incredible. That he's, again, you mean you took, you, you guys referenced November Rain that he was writing this kind of stuff that early on, you know, this was one of the f- um, first songs um, recorded for Appetite. And he was writing a lot of these things like that early on too, like you're power hungry selling soldiers in a human grocery store. That's, that's wild. It's incredible really is what it is, you know, um, for I've seen, for all I've seen, for all all I've seen has changed my mind, but still the wars go on and the years go by with no love of God or human rights because all those dreams are swept aside. But bloody hands of the hypnotized who carry the cross of homicide and history bears the scars of our civil wars. That's genius. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And I'm going to quote some more stuff going we get in the locomotive and breakdown, which are two of my mm-hmm. favorite songs on the, on the album, mm-hmm. which I've written. I've written research papers, not research papers, but I've written papers for school and college and in high school on both of those songs and got A's on them. <laughs> I, like, I just broke those songs down and I love those, those. 2 I'll get to those in a minute. But Civil War's lyrics are incredible. And it really took, it really, when, when that came out before the illusions came out, it really kind of took, um, Took my expectations and I think a lot of the world's expectations for these for this these albums um to new levels what what are we really going to get on these and um you know you know what to what places will these albums take us and this was this was the lead-in to where to where these albums would take us and it's an incredible song that I I think is really underappreciated and and deserved more attention than, than what it got when, when the albums were released.
0: Yep. Axel Rose, poet. Mark, this didn't make your list.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it's only, it only didn't make my list because I think out of all the songs I had kind of, uh, maybe I wouldn't, I don't know if this is a bad word to use, but overdosed on this song, uh, as far as hearing it so many times before the record came out, uh, you know, but it's a great song. I always thought that they play the song live almost better than on record, I think, a lot of times. Uh, I've always loved uh, Slash's kind of wah guitar solo bits that he, you know, segues from into the song and how they kind of come out of it with him doing a kind of extended Jimi Hendrix, you know, voodoo child thing at the end, mm. what they used to always do. Um, I think it's great. Again, it shows great strength in the songwriting i agree Uh, axel's lyric writing is very strong on this this is one of the rare songs well i would not say rare but one of the songs from this record that hasn't dated the topic matter is as relevant today as it was back in the time when it was written so you can play the song on the radio now and people won't roll their eyes and say yeah this is 1983 or whatever you know like how you can with some of these songs in history right um but again great stuff The memory of Slash walking out with a double neck guitar and playing the guitar bits is very strong in my mind. It was one of the reasons why I was desperately wanting a double neck when I was younger. Uh, Great, great stuff. Uh, I mean, I think Lonnie kind of, you know, covered it as much as it needs to be covered.
0: All right, well, let's move on. And next song up is another unanimous pick, and it's pretty tied up, which to me, again, it's just really a good rocker. You know, just straight in my ballpark of stuff I like. There's only one thing I can't stand about this song, and it's Axel on the on both these albums. Like to do a low voice vocal over on mm. a lot of them spoken parts, Uh-oh. and one of the dumbest ones he does is on this, and it's cool ranch dressing. And <laughs> I just shake my head. I'm sure there's a story behind why it's on there, but it just ruins otherwise a perfect rock and roll song. Lonnie,
3: pretty tied up. I love it. I think it's I, Check yeah, why, it why cool <laughs> ranch dressing? But the uh, I, I Mark mentioned when when he did his kind of summary of the song of the songs. I love the the sitar intro. It's kind of creepy, and just kind of kind of hooks you into the song right away. Um, it's kind of um, Guns N' Roses' version of Sweet Pain, I guess you could say in a way,
4: <laughs>
3: and. Yep it uh it's one of the more appetite feeling songs on on the albums Mm -hmm. and uh it 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 feels like it could belong anywhere on appetite really um and that and i think that's one reason why i like it so much is that it it sounds a whole lot like that like that record um it's his, his lyrics are great he he sound he sounds like appetite actually even on it to me um i think they i, I don't know if it's really intentional or not but they, it really captures that appetite feel more, almost as much as you could be mind does um but it, it's one of the more rocking songs on rocking songs start to finish on use your illusion too we've you know we've mentioned how a lot of their songs you know kind of start off slow and, and build this one starts off punches you in the face and keeps punching in the face the whole time mm-hmm. um I love it. It's a great song. <laughs> Guess who
0: wrote it? Mark.
1: Yes. <laughs> the pearls of some wrong guy. Wrong his name decades. just escapes
3: me right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I understand the uh, kind of dislike of that. Uh, supersonic low voice that he can do sometimes on these rec- recordings but I always thought that the the, the, vo- the little extra voice parts were kind of cool so I've always loved that introduction on that the pearls of rock and roll decades I always thought that was a great intro bit at the beginning there and uh, yeah I've always loved this song that the sitar at the beginning that growling distorted guitar underneath it at the beginning when it starts up and that, you know, that 16-note that hi-hat thing that Matt does underneath it, it's just such a great beginning to a song. You know, I, I, I always thought that it was a, a song that, you know, they could have put more spotlight on, in my opinion. It was, it deserved much more focus. Uh, obviously, the reason why it didn't have as much because of the because of the topic matter, you know, Friday mm-hmm. Night is going up inside her again. I mean, that right there is something that you probably don't want to mm-hmm. analyze too deeply uh, i do think you have to <laughs> yeah yeah and the whole pearls of rock and roll decadence i mean that's another thing that we don't want to go into too much detail with either but uh uh yeah so it's a it's a great song and that's one of the thing you know what i think that's one of the strengths of axel's lyric writing is that he wrote songs that were cool to young kids And to the people that were in my age group, like in the, you know, 19, 20 year old, who were, you know, jiving and connecting to what these lyrics were talking about, we thought it was kind of cool, too, at the time. But, you know, the younger kids, they were kind of, you know, unawares at the time of what he was talking about, but they still thought it was cool. that's one of the hidden secrets of his lyrics, for sure, is that he hooked in everybody and they don't even know why they were being hooked in.
2: Yep. Ken? yeah well i i agree that this is one of the uh more straight ahead yeah rock songs like Lonnie was saying on the album and yeah i agree that it could could have fit on appetite for destruction um as that's one of the reasons I think i do like it because it it kind of reminds me of that type of feel um and it was kind of getting back to that um versus a lot of the other material on this uh, these you know, two discs. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a great, great rocker straight ahead. You know, it's good. I mean, that's why I put it on there and, and, you know, kicked off a couple other songs that I thought didn't <laughs> deserve it.
0: Yeah. They were not worthy. Uh, next up on our <laughs> list is, uh, locomotive complicity. Holy <laughs> shit. If there's a song on either of these albums that's about the guitars, for me, this is kind of it. Those chugging guitars. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that it screams every time I listen to it is, listen to the fucking tone of the lead. Oh my god, that is so (laughs) dialed in. Uh, You know, everything else, it's just like another epic of just guitars. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's like guitars. Guitars, uh, holy! <laughs> sh- yeah. So, uh, Ken, let's just start, by, <laughs> just start back. That should, back. Be, the, that should be the still <laughs> for this episode. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. <laughs>
4: All
2: Um No, g- another great song. Um, I wrote down, like, you know, gr- great, great groove to it, um, um, which I love. And, yeah, like you said, chugging. Uh, it's it is like, you know, that. Ch- a train, you know, um, you can kind of feel it, you know, that, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
2: it's, it's almost a gallop, too, in a way. Um, but uh, just just a, a great song, unique and stands out to me as one of the better songs on, on all of these from all the songs um, on, on the album, you know, unique in, in its style from all the other songs that they've done before, actually um I, I i don't know i love it i mean that's you know that's one i will not skip
0: <laughs> yeah mark
1: yeah this one really sits well with me i've always thought that that beginning of this song is fantastic it was one of those things where i looked at my drummer who didn't like Matt and go uh, 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 listen to that beat at the beginning you like it don't you and he was kind of like yeah it's good you know <laughs> and uh it's it's fantastic but i'll have to say one thing about this that we've been kind of overlooking this song particularly put a very big spotlight on Duff McKagan. I think his bass playing on this is great. And Duff McKagan Mm. was the guy who I tribute and credit bringing back chorusing on bass guitar again, because for a long time, a lot of people thought it was out of style to put chorus on bass guitar. And he has that, fantastic sound that galleon kruger bass amp sound he was the one that was pushing the galleon kruger bass amps back then and he has such a distinctive sound with that fender precision bass that he used with that with that chorus chorusing that do 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 that little bass run that he does it's so nicely chorused and i mean now he was doing that as far back as rocket queen on the bass you know that kind of stuff and i've always loved his bass sound i think it has balls to it it has really good mid-range to it, but that chorus thing makes it stick out amongst the guitars, guitars that were layered on top of it, you know? So I think that he did a great job. And I think, you know, we should give Matt, uh, uh, Matt, uh, Duff a uh, tip of the hat a bit more with his contributions to this record, for sure.
3: Nice. Lonnie. It is, I know I said this about November Rain, but it's right up there with that as one of my favorite songs ever. Um, I, it's like, like Ken said, I never, never skip it. I, it's a, I've, I've, I've I, it's a great song to run to. I, I run, the, I've, I've run, the, I've, I've run, it's all, it's on my, it's on my marathon, it's on my marathon playlist. I can tell you that right now. It's on my half marathon playlist. It's, it's, it's one that I, I can't do without that one. If I'm, if I gotta be fired up for, four hours straight the song's got to be a part of it so um and it's and it's epic you guys talked about Matt's drum you talked about Duff's bass playing on the song the melodic bass playing of, of Duff on the song the guitars obviously how incredible slashes and in the solos on this how dr- what a driving force it is but to me one of the best things but to me the best thing about it are the lyrics and there's a lot of them in this song, and you can you can pick this thing apart and you can dissect it but there's two parts to me that really stand out lyrically and one of them is one that i quoted when we did our little our little um show prep about the episode and and it's one that i've quoted in many papers in high school and college and it says you can use your illusion let it take you where it may We live and learn, and then sometimes it's best to walk away. Me, I'm just here hanging out. It's my only place to stay, at least for now anyway. I've worked too hard for my illusions just to throw them all away. I've worked too hard for my illusions just to throw them all away. That is America. (laughs) It is. It is. People want to believe what they want to believe and they don't want to be told otherwise. I don't want to hear it because I know, I know in my mind, what's right. I don't want to hear it. That's, that's America 1991. It's America now.
1: That's very American. Indeed.
3: Crazy. (laughs) And the other part I love is what the song is really about. And which is what most of what actual songs are about is about being in love and the pain of being in love. And, then that is affection is a blessing. Can you find it in your scored heart? I tried to keep this thing together, but the tremor tore my pad apart. Yeah, I know it's hard to face <laughs> when all we've worked for has gone to waste, but you're such a stupid woman and I'm such a stupid man, but love like time has its own plan. That's awesome. Again, with the poet. That's I mean. I, you, I couldn't write that if you put a gun to my head and I'm like, any of us could. It's fantastic. Ooh. <laughs> it really speaks to me and i was playing this song actually the other night and i was really excited when they start when they brought when they started playing it last fall on tour so i was playing a little youtube video of it um on the tv um from when they were playing it on tour last fall and i'm singing along with it and i get to the chorus and I'm, you know my baby's got a locomotive get the bitch off my back and my and my wife's like that doesn't make any sense. What are you even singing? <laughs> I go, oh, no, this song is fantastic. What are you talking about? <laughs> Honey, right. You just don't understand it. You don't understand genius when you hear it, do you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's it's that line in the uh, in the song, the first one you quoted about, yeah. you know, using your illusion. That's where the title from this episode comes. You know, choose your delusion you know use your illusion choose your delusion same damn thing from a different kind of angle so let's move on to the next one and that is uh, yesterday's again we get into kind of the stonesy sounding stuff and it's just short concise pop song you know uh which i've always thoroughly enjoyed ken you and i were the only
2: ones who picked this
0: one so what are your thoughts on
2: next today's? i think it's a great song um was it not a single i i, I don't know it
1: was yeah
2: was it yeah, yeah yeah uh i thought i thought it was um I like, I mean, again, this is one of those songs that are, you know, it's not a heavy rock or anything. It's just, it's more pop to me, you know, pop rock. Um, um, But a great melodic type song with a hook uh, that I like. Um, I just think it's a great song. Um, And I'm surprised that, you know that other people may have not you know chosen this it's i i just don't i don't know what the reason would be but because it's so good um so i don't know what to say it's just a great song uh,
0: we're, we're clearly have superior taste here, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <you? Wow>. clearly. <laughs> all right let's move let's move into the last three here um Estranged. I think that was probably unanimous pick. Yeah, uh, to this day, this is my favorite song off both of the albums. It is just a perfectly formed epic. I have nothing else to say about it. Mark, Estranged.
1: Uh, again, piano playing fantastic by Axel. Uh, I think he even credits uh, saying thank you very much to Slash for his fantastic guitar playing in this song and it's true those little melody lines that he put in, puts in there some of them are so unslashlight but that's what makes them so fantastic those little half bends that he does in there is just really cool it's just a uh, outside of his sort of bluesy spectrum but I, I really love it it's just a great great performance and uh the video again is one of those seven million dollar masterpieces that i enjoy watching very much
0: Nice. Lonnie, It's strange. No,
3: it's great. It's another epic, just epic song on here, nine minutes long. Um, Matt's Matt's drumming really stands out to me on the song as the Slash's guitar playing. Slash's guitar playing is so bluesy, and the way he does the the dolphin-type feel to it even Mm -hmm. was obviously planned out for a long time with how the dolphins appear in the video. Two and a half years later and the video finally comes out for the song um it's you know lyrical genius again and it's guitar playing and it's it there's so many layers to it it's like november rain almost in a way but there's so many layers to the song like there is with, with november rain and you know it's all part of the the trilogy of videos that don't cry november rain and Strange. and Strange was you know the cap on them all so it's there's a lot going on in the video. There's a lot going on in the song, and it's it's great. It's one they have to play every night because it is epic.
0: Yeah. Every time anyone said layers today, I've always thought of Shrek talking about onions.
2: Um, <laughs> Ken. <laughs> um, the mind of Julian Gill. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you guys say, um, I, I wrote down a you know epic song. To me, it's yeah, it's like. November Rain Part Two, or you know, November Rain Junior, whatever you want to call it, uh, but not quite, not quite as good as November Rain, but it's pretty, pretty darn close, and it's a another cool, you know, big song, big song, uh, thematic. Uh, that's that's really good. Yeah.
0: All right. Now we're into the last two breakdown. I did not pick this. And the rest of you did, mm. so it's all your fault. What's wrong I, with you? Let me hear you now. Let me hear you That's now. That's great. Let me hear you. I hate those fucking vocal over, over <laughs> let me hear The, you the call outs. Um, yeah, it's the the. Uh, the guy who
3: loves Kiss, he says he hates. Let me hear you. <laughs> the, yeah hear wonder now.
0: wonder what people. Let me hear you now. Um, <laughs> it's it, it has a great solo, but. I was always put off by the intro because the intro to this song reminds me of why I hate Cinderella's Heartbreak Station so much. And the outro voice section is just annoying as fucking hell. So now the three of you can all gang up and tell me why it's such a great song. Mark, please commence.
1: Well, I I think the intro to this song is one of the things that immediately hooked me of this song. That, That whole thing at the beginning is so good with that banjo. And that whistling too on there. I mean, he made he made it cool to whistle again. Not since Jeff Tate has it been cool to whistle. Not since you know? patience
3: three years ago uh, it had it been cool. To whistle. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, but <laughs> hey, I mean, I think people, I, I think at that point people have associated the whistle to him too, right? I mean, before it was tied back to to Jeff Tate, long before Axel was doing it, you know. And uh, I just think it's a it's a great song. I mean, it when it comes out of that part that intro piano part is so great in there and that singing that he does in the, at the top there is so good you know i i just think it's just another strongly written song and yeah sure they could have gotten away without that let me hear you now but every time i think maybe once it would have been okay to get away with it but doing it as many times as they did i think it was just overkill a bit but i still think it's one of my favorite songs on there i, I really i really love this song
0: yeah, some shit supposed to be left on the cutting room floor. Ken, your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, yeah. let me hear. you. I agree. You know, it, it's a little bit overdone, obviously. Um, the big thing for me about it is, I like the the. It's funny. It's called breakdown, but I like the breakdown in the middle uh, of the song, uh, where you know the change. I think it's I think it's fantastic change up in the song. Um, that's what makes it cool that's why I put it on my list Uh, otherwise it you know had it not had that in it I probably would have you know inserted a different song but uh, yeah it's a good good rock song
3: yeah Blani Julian's so wrong and (laughs) this song really speaks volumes to me um i mentioned earlier in the show how i bought these albums you know the day they came out i couldn't wait for them and you know since 1991 until now these albums and these songs have meant different things to me from the 12 year old who bought them in september of of 91 until now and they've meant different things to me at different periods of my life and this song in particular um really speaks to a, a a very difficult time in my life um, in around the mid-2000s. Um, I, you guys, this, this is like a, this is like, you got you to listen to the whole episode. And you, get sat, you guys don't even know this about me. I used to be married and I got divorced in um, 2004. And this song is about, wanting to find love and doing what it takes getting burned going out into the cold to search for true love getting hurt and going back for more because you are gonna find it and he's come to know the cold of, of being alone he thinks of it as home that speaks volumes to me from who I was from about 2004 until about 2000. 2000- Eleven, and I love this song because it it was something it was it was a driving force for me for a long time, and it 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 means a lot it it, it means a lot and it, it, it didn't mean a lot to me prior to that, but prior to two thousand and four, and it means a lot to me now, and it, and it meant a lot to me at the time, and it still does. How this guy. How the guy in the song, he is relentless, looking for what he wants until he finds it, willing to get burned, willing to take a chance. You know, and that, and that, and that's good for anyone too. So I I love the lyrics. Of this and again, I go back to lyrics, and that's one of the reasons why I love Guns N' Roses so much. It's one thing I've I've gone back to repetitively is is lyrics, and the song really really speaks to me, and that's why I love it
0: that is the power of music i mean you just mm-hmm. illustrated it perfectly marx mm-hmm. illustrated it during this episode with you know one of his recollections of a song and a memory that's associated with it this i mean is a totally different one but that is the power of the fucking music that we listen to. Whatever band we discuss on this show, it's always going to be the same, that there are strong and powerful emotions attached mm-hmm. to some songs. There, Some of them are painful. Some of them are happy. They run the gamut of all the emotions that we feel. Um, let's go into the final song on our list, and it is one that we've already talked about. You could be mine. I've already said everything I need to say about it earlier. Um, Anyone have anything to add on that? Ken, I'll start with you
2: yeah I mean uh, it was you know that lead off song and like Lonnie said at the beginning of the show here um, about you know the video Um, it was just a great video um, that went along with it Um, just a great song So I I think it was a great lead in for this album Um, uh, or the right song to choose as the first one especially after coming off of, well, you know, if you can you know, appetite for destruction, it's one, another song that's closer, a little bit closer to that style. Um, so I think they had to start off with a pretty good rocker like that. Um, and Hey, it's a catchy song. You know, I always enjoyed it from the beginning when I first heard it. So good song.
0: Nice. Mark. Uh,
1: Again, a great example of the fantastic chorus bass of Duff McKagan on this song, uh, right from the very top. The drum beat is epic. Lots of drummers after that started doing that in, in earnest. I remember lots of drummers when I was jamming and going to shows at Soundcheck, you would hear every drummer and their brother doing that as part of the Soundcheck check. Uh, that little drum bit and a little interesting part for you guitar players out there who are following along slash yes he is known for the gibson les paul but this is the one song where he pulled out the bc rich mockingbird guitar for this in studio and live and uh if you really wanted to hear a good story about the bc rich guitar in slash's book he had a great fight with paul stanley about a bc rich guitar look that up
3: nice lonnie um great song um could have fit well on appetite but it was the perfect song to be the the lead off single for the use your illusion album to to bridge from appetite to what we got on use your illusions and the video is 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 incredible and it's and it's an it's an epic epic video um, just a great commercial for terminator 2 and how good that movie is <laughs> so um it, it has this great driving force to it and it's what we mentioned about pretty tied up though kind of sounds like it belongs on appetite and so does this and but it's also one of the rockers from start to finish as well it just has a good rock beat from the very beginning to the very end doesn't slow down in the middle doesn't start slow nothing it's just straight ahead in your face rock music just like appetite is so it's a perfect song to lead off and it's yeah one of my favorite guns and Roses songs
0: Perfect. If we'd, uh, when I did all the math and, you know, ranked all our picks, we would have had a Japanese bonus track for song number 13. Would have been 14 years for anyone who cares. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we wrap up, let's just talk about the singles, you know, that we would have picked for this album. What would have been your lead off single? You know, just pick one song that you think would have been a perfect representation of where the band was going or what you think would have worked the best. Ken. Well,
2: I think "You Could Be Mine" was the the perfect leadoff single, uh, which kind of we alluded to, um, and I think even Lonnie was just saying uh, that was a perfect tie-in from the coming from Appetite to the new album. So, uh, I, I agree with that single. I think it was the right choice at the at the time.
0: Yep, hard to hard to go wrong with that. Mark, what's your thought on that?
1: Uh, I I think a, "You Could Be Mine" is a great song. Uh, I picked. Though Bad Obsession, I think that while it's uh, more of a rock song, I think I think it would have probably maybe hooked a little bit more people in my opinion. But I mean, You Could Be Mine is a great song; it captured everybody. But because it's a little bit more on the hard rock metal side, and Bad Obsession is a little bit more in the straight rock Stones thing, I thought it might might have hooked in a bit more people. But there's no wrong choice, I think, in this category. I think that the singles that they picked were fantastic
3: yeah good good thoughts there Lonnie yeah it, it you could be mine to me I'm, is is the perfect lead-in track to the albums I mean the liner notes for the liner notes in Appetite even say with your bitch slap rapping in your co- ta- cocaine tongue you get nothing done so I mean I mean it, it is the I mean it's even the song's even referenced in Appetite so how can you not have that be the lead-off <laughs> song for the next album it's perfect yeah,
0: I would have gone with something that could uh, make people think a little bit more, something like pretty tied up, yeah, really cool yeah. talking. <laughs> yeah, Guns Guns and Roses is back, bitches. All right, we've chosen our delusion. What are I mean, if you were to pick twelve songs from both of these albums to compile your own playlist or whatever, you know, what would they be? Join the conversation wherever you've uh, watched or listened to this show on uh, YouTube, on iTunes and Podchaser and elsewhere. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We're gonna do a. Uh, you know a playlist on spotify We've banned most of our favorite podcasts recently but we'll still use their free music for you to be able to listen to our version of choose your delusion but for now from ken from mark and and myself thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on the look it's rock and roll podcast thank you for watching or listening to this episode be sure to subscribe to us like us or even leave us a review You can find us and join the conversation on Facebook.